of one. When Yomaoka was a brass, brass student, he visited the master Dukan. Wanting to impress the master, he said, There is no mind, there is no body, there is no Buddha. There is no better, there is no worse. There is no master, there is no student. There is no giving, there is no receiving. What we think we see and feel is not real. None of these seeming things really exist. Bokuan had been sitting quietly smoking his pipe and saying nothing. Suddenly, he picked up his staff and gave Yamoka a terrible whack. Yamoka jumped up in anger. Bokuan said, since none of these things really exist, and all is emptiness, where does your anger come from? Think about it.
as your own. Everything is borrowed and parrot-like. Mind is a parrot. I have heard it happened in the days of Joseph Stalin. A man, a very prominent communist, came to the Moscow police station and reported that his parrot is missing. The chief at the police station asked, because this man was a very prominent communist. So he inquired about his parrot because the parrot was significant and had to be searched for. In his inquiry he asked, does the parrot talk? The communist, the comrade, felt a slight fear. And then he said, yes, he talks, but note it down. Whatsoever political opinion he has, they are completely his own. But how a parrot can have opinions of his own? A parrot cannot have opinions of his own, neither the mind. Because mind is a mechanism. A parrot is more alive than a mind. Even a parrot may have some opinions of his own, but the mind cannot have. Mind is a computer, a biocomputer. It accumulates. It is never original. It cannot be. Whatsoever it has is borrowed, taken from others. You become original only when you transcend mind. When the mind is dropped and the consciousness faces existence directly, immediately, moment to moment in contact with existence, you become original then for the first time you are authentically your own. Otherwise all ideas are borrowed. You may quote scriptures. You may know by heart all the Vedas, the Quran, the Gita, the Bible. But that makes no difference. They are not your own. And knowledge that is not your own is dangerous, more dangerous, more dangerous than ignorance, because it is a hidden ignorance, and you will not be able to see that you are deceiving yourself. You are carrying false coins and thinking that you are a rich man, carrying false stones and thinking that they are Kohanus. Sooner or later, your poverty will be revealed. Then you will be shocked. This happens whenever you die, whenever death comes near. In the shock that death gives to you, suddenly you become aware that you have not gained anything. Because 
only that is gained which is gained in being. You have accumulated fragments of knowledge from here and there. You may have become a great encyclopedia, but that is not the point. And particularly for those who are in search of truth, that is a barrier, not a help. Knowledge has to be transcended. When there is no knowledge, knowing happens. Because knowing your quality, quality of consciousness, it is just like a mirror. The mirror reflects whatsoever is there. Consciousness reflects the truth that is always in front of you, just at the tip of your nose. But the mind is in between. And the mind goes on chattering. And the truth remains just in front of you and the mind goes on chattering. And you go with the mind. You miss. Mind is a great missing. Before we enter this beautiful anecdote, few more things. First, knowledge is borrowed. Realize it. The very realization becomes a dropping of it. You don't have to do anything. Simple realization that whatsoever you know, you have heard it, you have not known it. You have read it, you have not realized it. It is not a revelation to you. It is a conditioning of the mind. It has been taught to you. You have not learned it. Truth can be learned, cannot be taught. Learning means being responsive to whatsoever is around you. That which is to be responsive to it. It is a great learning, but not knowledge. There is no way to find truth except finding it. There is no shortcut to it. You cannot borrow, you cannot steal, you cannot deceive. Simply there is no way. Only when you are without any mind within you, because mind is a wavering, mind is a continuous trembling, mind is never unmoving, it is a movement. Mind is just like a breeze, continuously flowing, and the flame goes on wavering. When mind is not there, the breeze has stopped. The flame becomes unmoving. When your consciousness is an unmoving flame, you know the truth. You have to learn how not to follow the mind. Nobody can give you the truth. Nobody. 
not even a Buddha, a Jesus, a Krishna. Nobody can give it to you. And it is beautiful that nobody can give it to you. Otherwise, it would become a commodity in the market. If it can be given, then it can be sold also. If it can be given, then it can be stolen also. If it can be given, then you can take it from if your friends borrow it. It is beautiful that truth is not transferable in any way. Unless you reach it, you cannot reach. Unless you become it, you never have it. It is not something you can have. It is not a commodity, a thing, a thought. You can be, but you cannot have it. In the world, in this world, we can have everything. Everything can become a part of our possession. Truth can never be possessed. Because there are two things which can be possessed, thought and thing. Things can be possessed, thoughts can be possessed, truth is neither, truth is being. You can become it, but you cannot possess it. You cannot have it in your safe. You cannot have it in your book. You cannot have it in your hands. When you have it, you are it. You become truth. It is not a concept. It is a being itself. Second thing to remember that this is human tendency to try to show that which you don't have. If you have it, you don't try to show it. There is no point. If you don't have it, you try to show it as if you have it. So remember, whatsoever you want to show to people is the thing you don't have. If you go to a rich man's house, you become a guest, nothing changes. If he is really rich, nothing changes. He simply accepts you. Go to a poor man's house, he changes everything. He may borrow the furniture from the neighbor, a carpet from somebody else, curtains from somebody else. He would like to impress you that he is rich. If you are not rich, you would like people to impress that you are rich. If you don't know, you would like people to know that you know. Whenever you want to impress somebody, remember this, that this is a human tendency to impress because nobody wants to look poor. And more so, when things of the other world are concerned. 
you can be a poor man as far as things of this world are concerned that is not much of a poverty but as far as god soul liberation truth is concerned it is too much to bear to be poor is too much to bear you would like to impress that you have and it is difficult to impress people as far as things of this world are concerned because those things are visible it is easy to impress people about things of the other worlds because they are not visible you can impress people that you know without knowing the problem arises because when you impress others there is possibility you may be impressed by their eyes and their convictions that you have by and by if many people are convinced that you know you will be convinced that you know there is the problem because deceiving others is not much a problem but if you are deceived by your own efforts then it will be almost impossible to bring you out of your sleep because you think it is not a sleep at all you think you are fully awake it will be difficult to bring out of your ignorance because you think you are enlightened already it will be difficult to bring out of your disease because you believe that you are healthy and whole already the greatest barrier that is tense between you and the truth is that you have convinced yourself via others that you already have it so it is a vicious circle first you try to convince others and you can convince others because the thing is invisible one thing second thing because others also don't have it so they don't know you go and start talking about god and go on talking sooner or later people will start thinking that you have known about god because they also don't know except the word god they don't know anything about and you can be very clever and coming coming about theories philosophies argumentative and if you can if you go on and on just out of sheer boredom they will say yes we believe that you know but be finished i have heard once it happened there has been one great mystic balsam a jeev a hasid a scholar came to see him a pretender and all his scholars are pretenders because by scholar i mean you know something through the scriptures words language you have not encountered the reality yourself 
and he started talking about old prophets in the Old Testament and commenting about everything borrowed, of course, unoriginal, foolish on his part because he is talking to a man who knows. Balsin listened out of compassion and then in the end he said, too bad, too bad, had the great Maimonides known you. Maimonides is a Jewish philosopher, a very great philosopher. The pretender was very happy, over enjoyed with this compliment that had great Maimonides known him. So he asked, I am so happy that you recognize me and you have given me recognition. Just one thing more, why do you say, too bad, too bad, had great memories known you? What do you mean? Please tell me this, what do you mean? Said Balsam, then you would have bored him, not me. Just out of sheer boredom, people start believing that, yes, you know, but keep quiet. And then moreover, they don't know. They are as ignorant as you. Only one difference is there, you are more articulate. You have read more. You have accumulated a little more dust. And they cannot argue. And you can put them in their places and make them silent. They have to believe that you must know. And it doesn't make any difference to them whether you know it or not. Be happy if you think you know. But you are creating such a stone wall, it will be difficult for you to break it. Because if you convince others, you are convinced that yes, you know. That's how there are so many so-called masters. They don't know anything. But followers they have. And because of followers, they are convinced that they know. Take away their followers and your and you will see their confidence is gone. Deep down, death psychologists say that people accumulate followers just to convince themselves that they know. Without followers, how you will convince yourself? There is no way you are alone. And it is difficult to deceive oneself directly. It is easy to deceive oneself via others. When you talk to someone and you see the, the light in his eyes, you are convinced that you must have something, otherwise why this light came to his eyes, his face, he was impressed. That's why we hanker so much to impress people. The mind wants to impress people so that it can be impressed via them.
and can believe in the borrowed knowledge as if it is a revelation. Beware of this. This is one of the trickiest traps. Once you fall into it, it will be difficult for you to come out. A sinner can reach easily to the truth than a scholar. Because if sinner feels deep down that he is guilty, he can repent. And he feels he has done something wrong. You cannot find a sinner who is basically happy. He feels the guilt, he has done something wrong. He repents. In the unconscious he wants to, to undo whatsoever he has done. To bring the balance in his life. Someday or other he will bring the balance. But if you are a scholar, a man of words, theories and philosophies, a great pandit, then it is difficult because you never feel guilt about your scholarship. You feel happy and egoist about it. Remember one thing, whatsoever gives you the feeling of ego is a barrier. Whatsoever gives you a feeling of egolessness is the way. If you are a sinner and you feel guilty, that means your ego is shaken. Through sin you cannot accumulate ego. It has happened many times. A sinner has taken the jump in a moment and has become a saint. It happened to Balmiki, an Indian saint, the first who told the story of Ram. He was a robber and a murderer, and in a single moment, the transformation happened. It has never happened like that to any Pandit ever, and India is a great country of Pandits, the Brahmins. The scholars, you cannot compete Indian scholars. They have a long heritage of thousands of years and they have lived on words and words and words. But it has never happened that a scholar in a single moment took a jump, exploded, was broken from the past and become totally new. It has never happened that way, but it has happened many times with sinners in a single moment. Because deep down they have never been able to make arrangements for their ego with whatsoever they were doing. Whatsoever they were doing was ego-shattering. And ego is the, the wall, the stone wall. If you feel you are a moralist, a puritan, you will create a, a subtle ego. If you think you are a knower, you will create a subtle ego. Remember, there is no sin except the ego. So don't accumulate it. And it is always accumulated through false things. 
because real things always shatter it. If you really know, the ego disappears. If you don't know, it accumulates and becomes bigger and bigger and stronger. If you are really a pure man, a religious man, ego disappears. But if you are a Puritan, a moralist, then ego is strengthened. This should be always the criterion to judge whatsoever you are doing, whether it is good or wrong, judge it by the ego. If ego is strengthened, then it is wrong. Drop it as soon as you can. Drop it immediately. If ego is not strengthened, it is good. If you go to the temple every day or every Sunday to the church and you feel ego is strengthened, don't go to that church. Stop. Don't go to the temples. It is not helping you. It is a poison. If you feel by going to the church that you are religious, you are something extraordinary, greater, purer than others, holy than thou, if this attitude comes to you, holier than thou, then drop it. Because this attitude is the only sin in the world that exists. All else is children's play. This is the only sin. This attitude of holier than thou. Do only that which doesn't strengthen your ego and sooner or later you will become enlightened. Because when the ego is not, even for a single moment it leaves you, suddenly the eyes open and you have seen it. Once seen it is never forgotten. Once glimpsed, it becomes such a powerful magnet in our life, it goes on drawing you nearer and nearer to the center of the world. Sooner or later you will be merged into it. But the ego resists, the ego resists surrenders. It resists love, it resists prayer, it resists meditation, it resists God. Ego is a resistance, a fight against the whole. That's why it is a sin. And ego is always interested in impressing people. The more you can impress people, the more ego gets food. It is fat. If you cannot impress anybody, the supports are withdrawn and the ego starts trembling. It has no base in reality. It depends on others' opinions. Now, try to enter in this anecdote. The brass student it is a contradiction because a student cannot be brass and if he is, he cannot be a student. A student cannot be impudent, he cannot be rude, he cannot be an egoist. If he is, he cannot be a student because to be a student means to be receptive to be ready to learn. 
And what is readiness to learn? Readiness to learn means that I know that I am ignorant. If I know that I know, how I can learn? The doors are closed. I am not ready to learn. Really, I am ready to teach. It happened once in a Zen monastery. A man came. He wanted to be initiated. The master said, we have two categories of initiates here. I have 500 inmates in the ashram, in the monastery, and we have two categories. One is that of disciples and one that of masters. like to join. And the man is absolutely new. Even he felt a little hesitation. He said, if it is possible, then I would like to be initiated as a master.
nothing was leaking. In his own right now he stood, but he continued. When the Buddha asked Puna, why you go on coming? Now you can stop. And Puna said, unless you say, how I can stop? If you say so, it is okay. Then he stopped coming to Buddha's lectures. But he remained just like he said, oh, moving with the Sangha, with the ardor. Then after few years, again Buddha said, Puna, why you go on following me? You go and teach people. You need not be here with me. And Puna said, I was waiting when you say I will go. I am a disciple. So whatsoever you say, I will do. If you say, it's okay. So where should I go? Which direction should I go? To whom I should teach? You simply direct me and I will follow. I am a follower. This man must have listened to Buddha totally. Because even when he becomes enlightened, he remains a disciple. And there are people absolutely ignorant and they are already masters. Even if they are listening, they are listening with an attitude that sooner or later they have to teach. You listen just to tell to others what you have learned. Drop that idea completely from the mind. Because if that idea is there, if the would-be master is there, the disciple cannot exist with that idea. They never coexist. A disciple is simply a disciple. One day it happens he becomes a master. But that is not the end. That's just a consequence. Just by being a learner, one becomes wise. That is the consequence, not the goal. If you simply learn to become wise, you will never learn. Because to be wise is an ego goal, an ego trip. And if you are just waiting to ripe, mature and become a master, and this disciplehood is just a passage to be passed, sooner the better has to be finished. You are not happy in it. You would like to end it. You are not a disciple and you will never be a master. Because when a disciple ripens, he becomes a master spontaneously. There is not a goal to be followed. It happens as a byproduct. The brass in student, student impudent, rude, thinking that he already knows. And that is the only impudence. 
that can happen to a mind that you already know. When Yamoka was a brass student, he visited the master Dakuan. Wanting to impress the master, he said, these Yamokas come to me almost every day. I have met many. This Yamoka is a type. People come to me. And sometimes I enjoy it very much. Once it happened, a man came. He talked for one hour. Talked the whole Vedanta. And he was asking for an interview for many days. And he was writing letters to me and he traveled along. And he was asking that I would like to ask few questions. When he came, he forgot about the questions. He started giving me answers and I had not asked anything. One hour, he talked and talked and talked. There was not even a gap so I could interrupt him. No, he won't listen even. So I had to say, yes, yes, yes. And I listened to him and enjoyed. And after one hour, he said, no, I will have to go. Now time is finished. But I learned so many things from you. And I will remember this meeting forever and ever. I will cherish this memory. And you have solved all my problems. Really this was his problem. That he wanted to talk and say things and give some knowledge to me. And he was very happy because I listened. And he remained the same and he went away happy. People come to me and they say that, uh, of course they know that all is Brahma. India is too much burdened with knowledge. And fools have become greater fools because of that burden. Because they all know. And they talk as knowers. And they talk about that all is Brahm. The reality is non-dual. And then in that they are, and they ask that mind, my mind is very tense. Can you suggest something? If you know that non-dual is existence, if you know that the two does not exist, how you can be troubled and tense? If you know this, all trouble is gone, or worry dissolved, anguish disappears. But if you say to them that you don't know, they won't listen. And you just go on listening to them, in the end the real will come out automatically. was charged 
of stealing a pocket watch and the man whose pocket watch was stolen was a little short-sighted and his eyes were weak and he could see only with his specs and he had forgotten his specs somewhere and then on the street this man cut his pocket and took the watch when the judge inquired that can you recognize this man this this man has taken your watch the man said it is difficult because my eyes are weak and without specs i cannot see rightly and everything is a little blurred so i cannot say exactly whether this man or not but my watch is stolen and i feel this is the man and because there was no other eye witness or anything and it could not be proved the magistrates had to free the man and he said no you can go you are freed but the man looked a little puzzled the judge said no you can go you are freed the man is still looked puzzled and the judge asked do you want to ask anything he said yes can i have the watch can i keep it this is what is happening people go on talking and if you go and listen to them in the end you will find they are all vedanta is useless in the end they ask something which shows the reality otherwise just language verbalization this yamoka visited the master dakwan dakwan is an enlightened man one of the most loved in japan one of the most respected wanting to impress the master he said when you want to impress a master you are a fool you are a perfect stupid man you may like to want you may want to impress the whole world but don't try to impress a master at least there open your heart don't talk nonsense at least there be true if you go to a doctor you expose all your diseases to him you allow him to diagnose to examine you tell everything whatsoever there you don't hide anything if you hide from a doctor then why in the first place go to him go and hide him and how you are expecting that he can help you if you hide to a doctor you say everything of the body to a master you have to say everything of the soul otherwise no help is possible when you go to a master go 
completely. Don't create a barrier between him and you of words. Say only whatsoever you know. If you don't know anything, say I don't know. When P.D. Ospinsky came to Gurdjieff, he was the greatest scholar, already world famous. More known in the world than Gurdjieff himself. Gurdjieff was an unknown fakir in those days. He became known through Ospinsky. Ospinsky has written a great book before he met Gurdjieff. The book is really rare because he talks as if he knows. And he is such an articulate man that he can deceive. The book is Tertium Arganam, Third Canon of Thought. And really one of the rarest book in the world. Even ignorance can sometimes do things. If you are skillful, you can do even with ignorance. Ostensky claims in that book, and his claim is right, that there exist only three real books in the world. One is Aristotle's Arganam, the first canon of thought. Second is Bacon's Novum Arganam, new canon of thought, that is second canon of thought. And third is my Tertium Arganam, third canon of thought. And really these three books are rare. And all the three are ignorant. Neither of them knows anything about truth. But they are very articulate men. They really have done a miracle without knowing about truth. And they have written beautiful books. They have almost come around. Approximately they have reached. Ostensky was a name. When he came to Gurdjieff, Gurdjieff was nobody. Of course he came with the knowledge. But Gurdjieff was a man of being. Really a man of no knowledge. Very substantial being. What he did, he did something beautiful. He remained silent. Aspinsky waited and waited and waited, became fizzy. He started perspiring before this man because he simply remained silent, looking at him. And it was so awkward and his eyes were very, very penetrating. If he wanted to, he could burn you with his eyes. And his face was such that if he wanted to, he could simply take you out of your being with his face. If he looked in you, you will feel very uneasy. And he remained like a statue. And Aspinsky started trembling. A fever came over him. And then he asked, but 
why are you silent? Why don't you say something? Gurdjieff said, first one thing has to be decided, absolutely decided. Only then I will say a single word. You go into that other room, you will find a piece of paper there. So write on it whatsoever you know and also that which you don't know. Make two columns, one of your knowledge, one of your ignorance. Because whatsoever you know, I need not talk about it. We, we are finished with it. You know it, no need to talk. Whatsoever you don't know, I will talk about it. Aspinsky has reported that he went into that room, sat on a chair, took the paper and the pencil, and for the first time in his life realized that he doesn't know anything. This man destroyed his whole knowledge. Because for the first time with awareness he was going to write that I know God. How to write? Because I don't know. I know truth. How to write? Astinsky was authentic. He came back after half an hour, gave a blank seat to Gurdjieff and said, Now you start work. I don't know anything. And Gurdjieff said, how you could write Tarshim Arban? You don't know anything. And you have written the third canon of thought. As if people go on writing in their sleep. Go on writing in their dreams. As if they don't know what they are doing. They don't know what is happening through them. Wanting to impress the Master, Yamoka said, There is no mind, there is no body, there is no Buddha, there is no better, there is no worse, there is no master, there is no student, there is no giving, there is no receiving. What we think we see and feel is not real. None of these seeming things really exist. This is the highest teaching. The ultimate truth. This is the essence of the whole tradition of Buddha. That Buddha says everything is empty. That's what we were talking when I discussed with you, Sozan. Everything empty. Everything is just relative. Nothing exists absolutely. But this is the highest realization. But you can read it in a book. If you read it in a book and say, it is, it is simply stupid. There is no mind, there is no body, there is no Buddha. Buddha has said that I am not. But when Buddha says, it means something. When Yamoka says, it means nothing. When Buddha says, it is very, very significant, I am not. He says, even I am not. So 
be more alert, you cannot be. This is my realization, he says, that personality is just like a wave or a line drawn on the water. It is a form and form is continuously changing. The form is not truth. Only the formless can be the truth. Only the unchanging can be the truth. And Buddha says, it may take seventy years for your form to disappear, but it disappears. And that which was not one day, and again one day is not, could not be in the middle. I was not one day. I will not be one day. On two sides nothing, and just in the middle I am. This is not possible. How between two non-existences existence can exist? How between two emptinesses there can be something substantial? Must be a false dream. Why in the morning you say that the dream was false? It was. But why you say it was false? What is the criterion of its being false or true? How you judge? And everybody in the morning says, I had dreamt and the dream was false. Dream means the false, but why? This is the criterion that in the evening it was not there. When I went to sleep it was not there. When I came up again out of his feet, it, it was not there. So how it can be in the middle? The room is real. The dream is false. Because when you went into his sleep, the room was there. When you came out of his sleep, the room is there. The room is real. The dream is false. Because the dream has two nothingnesses around it. And between two nothingnesses, Nothing can exist. But the room continues. So you say the room is real, the world is real, and the dream is false. A Buddha has awakened out of this world, and he sees just like the dream, your world is also false. He has awakened out of this great dream which we call world. And then he says that it was not there. Now it is again not there. So how it can be in the middle? Hence, Buddhas, Sankaras go on saying the world is illusory. It is a dream. But you cannot say it. You cannot just take the words and repeat them. This Yamoka must have heard, must have learned, read, studied. He is repeating like a parrot. There is no mind. There is no body. There is no Buddha. There is no better. There is no worse. Because all are relative. Remember, Buddha calls anything relative false. Anything absolute true. Absoluteness is the criterion of truth, relativity is the criterion of a dream. 
start to understand this because this is basic. You say your friend is tall. What do you mean? He can only be said taller, not tall. Taller than somebody. He may be a pygmy before somebody else. So tallness is not in him. Tallness is just a relationship, a relative phenomena. In comparison to somebody, he is taller. In comparison to somebody else, he may be a pygmy. So who he is? Is he a pygmy or a tall man? No, these two things are relativities. In himself who he is? Tall or pygmy? In himself he is neither tall nor pygmy. That's why Buddha says, the better does not exist, the worse does not exist. Who is a sinner and who is a saint? Look. If there are only saints in the world, will there be any saint? If there are all sinners in the world, will there be any sinners? The sinner exists because of the saint. The saint exists because of the sinner. They are relativities. So if you want to be a saint, you will create a sinner. You cannot be a saint without there being sinners. So be aware not to become a saint. Because if you become a saint, that means somewhere the other polarity will have to exist. Saints are false, sinners are false. Who you are in yourself, if you are alone, are you a sinner or a saint? Then you are none. Look into that reality which you are without related with anything else. Look into yourself without relation. Then you will come to the absolute truth. Otherwise everything is just a relative term. Relativities are dreams. The reality is not a relativity. It is absoluteness. Who you are? If you go inside and you say, I am light, you are dreaming again. Because what light can mean without darkness? Light needs darkness to be there. If you say inside I am blissful, you are again dreaming because bliss needs misery to be there. You cannot use any term because all terms are relativities. That's why Buddha says we cannot use any term. Inside there is emptiness. This emptiness is also not against fullness. 
this is just to say that all terms are empty in absolute truth no term applies you cannot say anything buddha will not be in agreement with hindus to say that the reality is sachidanand because he says sat exists because of asit chit exists because of achit anand exists because of dukkha sat is existence god cannot be said to be existential because the non existence will be needed and where non existence will exist god cannot be said consciousness because then unconsciousness will be needed and where unconsciousness will exist god cannot be said bliss because then misery will be needed buddha says whatsoever word you use is useless because the opposite will be needed look into yourself then you cannot use language only silence only through silence it can be indicated and when he says all terms are empty all words are empty all things are empty all thoughts are empty he means this because they are relative relativity is a dream there is no better there is no world there is no master there is no student there is no giving there is no receiving what we think we see and feel is not real none of these seeming things really exist this is the most profound teaching of buddha so one thing has to be remembered you can repeat most profound words ever uttered and you can still be a stupid man this yamoka is stupid he is exactly repeating the same words as buddha words carry your being when buddha says the same words they have a different significance a different fragrance the words carry something of the buddha something of his being the aroma the taste of his inner being the music of his inner harmony is carried by those words when yamoka repeats those words they are dead still they don't carry any fragrance they will carry something they will carry yamoka and his bad odors remember just by repeating gita don't think anything is going to happen the words are the same the krishna said the same words you are repeating all over the world 
thousands of Christian missionaries go on repeating the same words Jesus said. Those words are dead. It is better not to repeat them because the more you repeat, the more still they become. It is better not to touch them because your very touch is poisonous. It is better to wait when you attain to a Christ consciousness or a Krishna consciousness or a Buddha consciousness then you will be begin to flower then things will start coming out of you never before don't be a gramophone record because you can only repeat but that doesn't mean anything. Dakuan had been sitting quietly smoking his pipe. A very beautiful man. He didn't even bother. He didn't interrupt. He simply continued smoking his pipe. Remember only Zen masters can smoke pipe because they are not pretenders. They don't bother what you think about them. They don't bother. They are people at ease with themselves. You cannot think a Jain smoking pipe or a Hindu sannyasi smoking pipe. Impossible. These are men of rules, regulations. They have forced themselves into disciplines. No need to smoke a pipe if you don't want. But if you want, then don't force something dead upon you. Because that desire will remain somewhere written. And that desire will disturb. And why? If you want to smoke a pipe, why not smoke it? What is wrong in it? You are as false as the pipe and the smoke. And the smoke and the pipe is as true as you. But why not? Deep down, you want to be extraordinary, not ordinary. Smoking a pipe will make you very ordinary. This is how ordinary people are doing. Smoking pipe, drinking tea and coffee and laughing and joking. This is how ordinary people are doing. You are a great saint. How can you do ordinary things in an ordinary way? You are very extraordinary to pose extraordinariness. You drop many things. Nothing is bad in dropping them. If you don't like it, it's okay. Because no need to force yourself to smoke a pipe. Just to say that you are ordinary. No need because this is how the mind goes. No need to do anything if you don't want. 
if you want, then don't pose yourself. Don't try to have a mask of seriousness. Then be simple. Nothing is wrong if you are simple. Everything is wrong if you are not simple. This man, Dokuan, must be a simple man. Dokuan had been sitting quietly, smoking his pipe, very meditative, just relaxing, listening to this pretender and saying nothing. Suddenly, he picked up his staff and gave Yamoka a terrible whack. Zen masters carry a staff. For such people, they are very gentle people, but very authentic. And there are people who will not listen to words, who can listen only to a vac. If you talk to them, they won't listen. They will talk still more. They need a shock treatment. Suddenly he picked up his staff and gave Yamoka a terrible wake. Yamoka jumped in anger. Dakuan said, since none of these things really exist, and all is emptiness. Where does your anger come from? Think about it. He has created a situation. And only situations are revealing. He could have said that whatsoever you are saying is just information borrowed. That won't make much difference. Because the man sitting before him is fast asleep. Just talking will not bring him out of it. It may even help him more. He may start arguing. Rather than doing that, Dakuan did the right thing. He hit by his staff hard. Suddenly. Because Yamuka was not ready for it. Unexpectedly it came. It was so sudden he could not manage his character accordingly. He could not manage a false pose. For a moment the, the, the wake was so sudden the mask slipped and the real face came out. Just by talking it was not possible. Dakuan must have been very compassionate. Just for a single moment anger peaked. The real came out. 
Because if everything is empty, how you can be angry? From where the anger can come? Who will be angry if even Buddha is not? You are not. Nothing is there. Only emptiness exists. Then how in emptiness anger is possible? What Dakuan is doing is bringing this Yamoka to being from knowledge. That's what he is doing by waking. A situation is needed because in a situation suddenly you become real, whatsoever you are. If words are allowed, if Dakuan talks and says this is wrong and that is right, he helps continuity of your mind. Then a dialogue will be there, but of no use. He gives a shock. He brings you back to your reality. Suddenly, all thinking disappears. Yamoka is Yamoka, not a Buddha. He was talking like a Buddha. And just by a hit, Buddha disappears comes in Yamoka, angry, Dakuan said, since none of these things really exist, all is emptiness, Yamoka, where does your anger come from? Think about it, don't talk about Buddha and don't talk about reality and don't talk about truth. Think about this anger from where it comes. If you really think about anger from where it comes, you will reach to emptiness. Next time when you feel angry, or if you cannot, then come to me, I will give you a whack. I go on giving. But my works are more subtle than dark ones. I don't use a real staff. It is not needed. You are so unreal. A real staff is not needed. I need not physically give you a wake. But spiritually I go on giving. I go in creating situations in which I try to bring you back to your Yamoka hood from your Buddha hood. Because that Yamoka is real within you, Buddha is just a mask. And remember, Yamoka has to live, not the mask. Yamoka has to breathe, not the mask. Yamoka has to digest the food, not the mask. Yamoka will fall in love. Yamoka will be angry. Yamoka will have to die, not the mask. So better you are freed from the mask and drop back to your Yamoka hood. Remember, Buddha cannot be a mask. If Yamoka goes on deeper in himself, he will find Buddha there. And how to go deeper in you? 
follow anything that comes from within. Follow it back. Redress back. Anger has come, close your eyes. It is a beautiful moment because anger has come from within. From the very center of your being it comes. So just look backwards, move. Just see from where it is coming. From where? What you do ordinarily and what this Yamoka could have done. He will think because of this Dakuan, the anger has been created. Because he waked me, that's why anger is created. He will look at Dakuan as the source. Dakuan is not the source. He may have wed you, but he is not the source. If he wed the Buddha, anger would not come. It is Yamoka. Go back. Don't look out at the source, otherwise this beautiful moment of anger will be lost. And your life has become so false that within a second you will put the mask again and you will smile and you will say, yes, Master, you did a very good thing. The false will come in soon. So don't miss the moment. It is just a split second when the anger has reached and anger is true. It is truer than what you are saying. The words of Buddha are false on your mouth. Your anger is true because it belongs to you. All that belongs to you is true. So find the source of this anger from where it is coming. Close your eyes and move inwards before it is lost. Go backwards to the source and you will reach to emptiness. The more backwards you go, the more inwards, deeper you move. A moment comes when there is no anger. Inside at the center there is no anger. Now, Buddha will not be a face, a mask. Now something real has been penetrated. From where the anger comes, it never comes from your center. It comes from the ego. And ego is a false entity. If you go deeper, you will find it comes from the periphery, not from the center. It cannot come from the center. At the center is emptiness, absolute emptiness. It comes only from the ego. And ego is a false entity created by the society, a relativity an identity. Suddenly you are waked and the ego feels hurt. Anger is there. If you help somebody, you smile at somebody, bow down to somebody, he smiles. 
that a smile is coming from the ego. You appreciate, you give compliments to somebody, you say how beautiful you are. And the woman smiles, that smile is coming from the ego. Because at the center there is neither beauty nor ugliness. At the center there is just absolute emptiness, anatta, no selfness. And that center has to be achieved. Once you make, you move as a non-being. Nobody can make you angry. Nobody can make you happy, unhappy, miserable. No, in that emptiness, all dualities dissolve. Happy, unhappy, miserable, blissful, all dissolve. This is Buddhahood. This is what happened under Bodhitri to Gautam Siddhartha. He reached the emptiness. Then everything is silent. You have gone beyond the opposites. A master is to help you to go to your inner emptiness, the inner silence, the inner temple. And the master has to devise methods. Only Zen masters beat. Sometimes they throw a person out of the window. They jump on him. Because you have become so far, such drastic methods are needed. And in Japan particularly. Because Japan is so far. That's why such drastic methods are needed. In Japan, a smile is a painted smile. Everybody smiles. It is just a habit. A beautiful habit as far as the society is concerned. Because in Japan, if you are driving and you hit a person on the Tokyo road, something will happen which never can happen anywhere. The person will smile and bow down and thank you. Only in Japan this can happen, nowhere else. And he will say, this is my fault. And you will say, this is my fault, if you are a Japanese. And both will say, this is my fault. And both will bow down and smile and go their way. In a way, good. Because what is the use of being angry and shouting at each other and creating a crowd? What is the use? From the very childhood, Japanese are being conditioned always to smile. That's why in the West, they are thought to be very sly people. You cannot rely on them, because you don't know what they are feeling. You cannot know what a Japanese feels. He never allows anything to come out. This is one extreme. Everything false, painted. Then Zen masters had to devise these drastic methods because only through these drastic methods the Japanese mask will fall down. Otherwise it is fixed. It has become almost your skin. As if grafted on the skin. 
But this is happening to the whole world now. Not only Japan, degrees may differ, but now this is the whole world. Everybody laughs, he smiles, neither the laugh is true nor the smile. Everybody says good things about each other. Nobody believes in them. Nobody feels that way. It has become a social etiquette. Your personality is a social phenomena. Your being is buried deep down under this personality. You need a shock so that the personality is thrown open. Or for some moments you are no more identified with it and you reach to the center where everything is empty. The whole art of meditation is how to leave the personality easily and move to the centers and be not a person. Just be and not be a person is the whole art of meditation, the whole art of inner ecstasy. In a 